And I invite you to join me in prayer as we begin looking at this passage and listening to what it has to say to us. Our God of grace, as we come into this room and we bring with us our stories, the stories of our lives, we may come today with particular fears on our hearts that are driving us. We may come with worries or we may come with hopes and joys and new possibilities. We might come and it's been the kind of season in our life where we wonder if we can ever believe in you again. Or we may come um, with a newfound faith um, in a sense that you are so real that how could we not follow you and learn more about you every day? Um, and drink deep from your word and your community and your grace. And it's just true that we come as a great mixture of stories. And as we sit in these chairs, um, we might assume things about those around us, and usually those assumptions are wrong. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And the story of your grace through the scriptures tell us that even though we're more broken than we want people to know, at the very same time, through Christ, we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. And I know there are people here um, who have verbalized how much they need to hear that every day. Both parts of it, that we are a mess, but that you enter into a messy world and there is a definitive love that you have for us, a forgiveness and a grace that you meet us with before we've done anything to deserve it. And in, in this time now, as we listen to Luke chapter 24, we pray that that grace would be evident, would be pouring through the words that are spoken and heard, through your Holy Spirit's power, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week's question was, to, to what have you said goodbye? And um, so people answered that question in a bunch of different ways. To what have you said goodbye? <clears throat> Toxic people. The confusions of the youthful development. Some homes and dreams that I really wanted but had to die to and surrender my idols. It was painful, but nevertheless, God had to take it away to make room for him. Our first kids. I've said goodbye to stability and predictability. Life has been more of a journey of trust. Comfort and stability of a place to call home. Our house we lived in for 30 years. My grandmother. That's what people have said goodbye to. And you can think of other things that might be on your mind in this season of your life. And the story of ascension feels like, if you have to put it into a category, it's like a goodbye story. It's the goodbye story of Jesus. But as we uh, focus on it and look at it, it draws our attention to all kinds of interesting places. It draws our attention to our place of existence, 
this world, planet Earth, physical livelihood, because in a physical way, the earthly body of Jesus left this place and left us here. And related issues and questions present themselves. Why did he leave? Where is he? Why is it taking so long to come back? And we notice that the world that he's left us in isn't always that fun. As some people have poignantly said, maybe you've heard this, life sucks and then you die. Um, And some people, depending on where you're at in life, they say, amen. (laughs) That's how it feels right now. This is a messy world. So we, we say, Jesus, why did you leave us with this unfinished mess? And the ascension reminds us that we're constantly sorting out our place in a messy world. There are lots of things to sort out when it comes to the ascension. Those words that we might rattle off without thought later during communion. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot that that brings up. And so listen to how the, um, this is no new, new thing that I'm making up today in terms of sorting out all these issues. Listen to how the 16th century Heidelberg Catechism sorts out some of these issues in question and answer format. What do you mean by saying he ascended, ascended to heaven? Answer, that Christ, while his disciples' watch was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Question, but isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Answer, Christ is true human and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, but in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. Question, if his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Almost sounds like a, a follow-up question of a precocious nine-year-old to the front. You know, like, gotcha. Um, it says, the answer, certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that, that has been taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is, is in and remains personally united to his humanity. Question, how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? Answer, first, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he ascends, or sorry, third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the Spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. Question. Why the next words, and is seated at the right hand of God? Answer. Because Christ ascended to heaven to show show there that he is head of the church, the one through whom the Father rules all things. We'll get to that in a minute. Question, how does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? 
First, answer, first, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends us and keeps us safe from all enemies. Now, I know that's a lot. That's too much to process. Was your head spinning a little bit through all those? And some of you were probably tracking, and maybe even a couple of you, I know not many, but maybe even a couple of you grew up learning from the Heidelberg Catechism, so maybe there was some refresher there, maybe. But as you can see, there are many benefits and aspects of the ascension. Today, let's briefly consider one thing that was mentioned in there, what God has to say to us about lordship. Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. The goodbye story of Jesus, if it's about anything, it's about the lordship of Jesus. He rightfully sits on a throne. One place that makes that very clear is Acts chapter 2, verse 32 through 36, when in the first sermon of the Christian church, there is a strong ascension piece to it. Um, As Peter is speaking to the onlookers to explain Pentecost, And what has happened with the tongues of fire, he gets into things and he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lordship. That's what the ascension is all about. It's not... Jesus is gone now, but almost the opposite. Jesus now begins to let his benevolent lordship play out everywhere. Justo Gonzalez, a theologian and church historian, writes about this, and he says, in no way does the ascension of Christ mean that Christ is now absent from this world. It is utterly impossible to read Acts and gain the impression that Jesus is no longer present with his people. Maybe you notice in our story from Luke something odd, that when Jesus says goodbye, his followers are present, and we are told that they worship him, and then they went away with joy praising God. Have you ever reacted to saying goodbye to a good friend or a mentor in your life that way? It it doesn't really line up. If it was just the goodbye of a good teacher, then none of their reaction makes any sense. Their actions only make sense if you view his ascension not as a goodbye, but an enthronement, an inauguration. It's all about sitting at the right hand of the Father. But lordship is a terrifying topic. Nothing should sound scarier to you about faith than the idea of Jesus becoming the Lord of your life. If it's not scary yet, you haven't really thought it out. In other words, this is the kind of sermon that could quickly shrink a church. And on Mother's Day, no less, (laughs) when we're already kind of compressed (laughs) and, uh, and whittled down. 
as people do their Mother's Day plans. We don't want to have Jesus on the throne as Lord. Inside of us, we have a raging battle for the throne. We want ourselves on it. There's so many histories, maybe you've read some of them, histories of kings and kings and, and the generations of kings. There's even some of those in the Old Testament, in the books of First and Second Kings and Chronicles. And in these stories, you'll even see children, you'll see the prince of the king, the son of the king, killing off family members and even their own father in order to get on the throne. And that's a nasty picture, but it's a fantastic picture of our own spiritual inclination, if we're honest. So we have to know that. We have to be aware of that. The Bible tells us that Christians are those adopted as kings, um, adopted as the king's children, I should say. So we are princesses and princes of God the Father. We're destined to inherit the kingdom alongside Jesus, And as those princes and princesses, we have been given so much, handed to us on a silver platter, and yet we're sinful, and so we want to throw off God's lordship. We have that all inside of us, and so we look for any evidence that he might actually be a tyrant. We're always on the lookout for that. You've had conversations throughout your life. You've talked to friends who are certain of that, that that is the conclusion they've come to. And if we can come up with such evidence, and we can justify putting ourselves on the throne again. But it's really silly because he's given us so much. So a Christian, if you can see the gift and the gift-giving king for how good it is, if that happened, the Christian would start to yearn for knowing how the king would have us do his bidding. You would not be terrified and chafe under the lordship of Jesus, but you would be leaning into it excitedly if you knew how good he was and how good his lordship has been for you. Let's, let's kind of enter into a, an, a metaphor. I made this one up, so, you know, no promises. Imagine a kind, fair, and just benefactor pays off an enormous debt for you. Let's make it $200,000. Pretty cool. All right. Whew. But then you realize that not only that, additionally, this benefactor put $5 million into your account. Pretty big bonus. And let's say that this benefactor is with you every day. Maybe let's just say they live right next to you. So they're going to see how you live. They're going to see how, in a way, if you make a big purchase, if you bring home that that. Lamborghini, or I don't know what other, like 75 foot RV with all the bells and whistles, or whatever it is, they're going to see it. So just imagine that. You have two options. One is maybe more like how we naturally are towards God. You chafe at this benevolent presence, and you begin to resent their watching eye and begin to flee and hide and avoid. It's a sad picture, right? This person gave you your very livelihood back and so much more, and you practically are hating them day in and day out. Or, what might do more justice to the situation, you might marvel 
that not only is your debt paid by this person, but you get to live so close under the generous eye of one who has blown your mind with their generosity. And if you go that route, you might begin over time to joyfully start spending the money the way the benefactor would have you spend it. And if you do that, you might, that might lead you to give a substantial sum of it away to help others who are in debt. And you eventually see how much it's a joy to be spending this person's gift in a way that delights them as well as you, rather than running around selfishly wasting the money away and justifying your behavior with all kinds of half-truths and trying to avoid the notice of the gift giver. That's a picture of how we are with God in general as Lord. It's like that with the lordship of Christ in your life. A Christian who understands her gift from God would want to stay close to God and God's word and God's community because you've been granted your very life back. An immeasurable treasure and you long to live in a way that delights the gift giver. The gift giver has gained your complete trust in adoration and has become the center of your life. You can't get enough of his leadership in your life. That's lordship. In the Christian church, you'll find people who, for whom, um, far from being terrified of him, they begin to be tender-hearted towards Christ as their Lord. People who start to long to learn more ways that their lives might operate as if Christ is on the throne, in charge of each area of their life. It's kind of normalized in church, in Christian community. One of the things that I got to say as the charge to elders two weeks ago at our ordination service, um, I did the charge to the elders and David did the charge to the deacons. And in the charge to the elders was this great line where the lordship of Christ is normalized. Remember that at all times, if you would truly give spiritual leadership in the house of faith, you must be completely mastered by your Lord. Completely mastered by your Lord. It's not uncommon in the church to find even a a feeling of fondness in people for the Lordship of Christ. Something changes in a person when they find Jesus as the good Lord of the throne on their life and they begin to experience the benefits of living as if that's true. Instead of, Jesus, give me something new this month, they say, Jesus, take away from me this month so that I can trust you more as Lord. Instead of, Jesus, show me something in your scripture that I agree with, It's, Jesus, show me something in your scripture that will be bad news for my ego or my pride or something I'm holding on to tightly. Instead of, Jesus, help me to boldly chase with courage what will give me pleasure. It's, Jesus, show me how out of whack I have become, for example, in my sexual habits. Instead of, Jesus, provide for these new possessions I hope to attain or these bucket list vacations. It's, Jesus, 
show me how I am sitting on the throne of my life and using money to enforce my own decrees. The uh, 16th century reformer, John Calvin, um, was, a, was a prolific preacher, teacher, and writer of uh, kind of explaining and summarizing the Bible. This is what he said at one point about the Lordship of Christ. Jesus Christ now fills with grace and kindness the throne that for miserable sinners would otherwise have been filled with dread. Jesus Christ now fills with grace and kindness the throne that for miserable sinners would otherwise have been filled with dread. Let's take an example, like uh, kind of a current modern example that probably applies to a, a good majority of you. How many of you would it be a normal thing to pull up, uh, how many of you do mobile banking? Like, you know, you have an app and it's your bank. Yeah, I saw a lot of hands, little sheepish hands, yeah. Um, it's okay. And then how many of you do any kind of online banking at all? Is that like most people in the digital world? There's most, right? Okay, we're not in checkbooks and checkbook ledgers quite as much anymore. So uh, it, it would be pretty normal for a lot of people to check their mobile app uh, on their smartphone on a weekend, like maybe you did yesterday, or maybe you did this morning, or maybe you're going to this afternoon. Um, or maybe you do it on your laptop or whatever, but checking your balances. So just think for a minute about how that might be a terrain where the lordship of Christ is at play. Think about and try to get in touch with the issues of Christ's lordship that come to the surface as you, you know, as it pops up, as you enter the password and there's those balances and your imagination gets going. What are your worries? What are your plans and your hopes as you take stock of your finances? And what does all that say about where your trust is and what's on the throne of your life? Consider this. What if every time you pulled up the app or what if every time you looked at your balances, right before you said some kind of a prayer for the Lordship of Christ, uh, maybe it seems extreme, but just consider this, that you do this and you say something like this, like um, I wrote some things down. What if you said something like, God, help me to see where I'm trusting money instead of you. Help me to see how I'm keeping you out of this realm. Or maybe something as simple as this, as this. Turn my handling of money into a beautiful place where your kingdom is flourishing. Because uh, with the Lordship of Christ, one of the pieces of the ascension is that our eyes are led to where Jesus is. Our eyes are led um, to the presence of God. Our eyes are, uh, we're told in Scripture, are kind of drawn away from the intensity of all of these earthly things. In Colossians chapter 3, the chapter starts out, I'll just read two verses. Colossians chapter 3 starts out this way. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. 
set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Um, I have another John Calvin quote, because when you have one, you might as well have two. Old Johnny C. He captures something I'd love to end with when he says this. Um, We are to learn to pass through this world as though it were a foreign country, treating all earthly things lightly and declining to set our hearts upon them. Now, if that sounds uh, escapist to you in some way, then there's plenty of other quotes of John Calvin I could balance that with where he exudes the beautiful, enjoyable things that we are created to enjoy. So just hear it in that kind of balance where he says, we're tr- even though there's all these beautiful, wonderful things we were made to enjoy, we're taught, to, we learn to pass through this world as though it were a foreign country, treating all earthly things lightly and declining to set our hearts on them. I get so many chances to sit down with you, with people at City Life, to, to one-on-one. I, I love one-on-one conversations. I have my own one-on-one conversations where I, my troubles come out and others listen to me. I get to listen to you. And so much of our troubles orient around things that we have set our hearts on. It's so obvious when you listen to people. Things we have set our hearts on. Things that um, instead of holding lightly, we are holding really tightly. We are clenching our fists. And friends, that's really a great question to ask yourself today. Today, what am I holding on to tightly? What today are you holding on to tightly as if your Lord has not been settled for good on the throne? Remember how people reacted when Jesus, was, Jesus ascended? What did they do? They worshipped him and they went away joyfully. So what today are you holding on to tightly that's keeping you from being able to genuinely worship God? Keeping you from being able to go away from this place joyfully? That's how you live out the ascension. When you give over the reins of your life to the king, you're freed up to worship and to go out with joy. Will you pray with me? Our God of grace, as we fill in the blanks of our own lives, the things that you are doing business with as our king, we ask that you be, on the one hand, tender and loving so that we might trust you, but on the other hand, that you be severe and intentional and calculated so that we may know you better and so that we may be taught oftentimes through things taken away from us how we might trust you more, how we might know you more, how we might love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.